And he also started a Twitch channel called Planet Scum, uh, which sort of features a lot of great comedians doing uh, shows, mostly New York based. And we've known him forever. We met we met Gethard in the very early days of the ECB theater. We're talking like the year 2000. 2000. Yeah, I met him June 2000. And um, we've all been pretty tight since then. So we a lot of people having... blame uh, my friendship with him on 9-11. <laughs> yeah, it's a stretch, but the timing it's, does work out. It works out too. It's like we knew each other. We got to know each other a little better, a little better, a little better than 9-11 struck. And it's like, ugh. You two we, were definitely the we first two I... I thought about you two first when it happened. I was like, I wonder yeah. what Gethard and Kevin were up to. Yeah. I mean, we, we weren't, I was not with him at the time, but uh, it seems suspicious. It seems suspicious. And a lot of people, we were both investigated thoroughly. See, we're not real full comedians, but we're not afraid to take on 9-11 in our material. We, <laughs> no. go, we go for real edge. Well, I know stuff. what people like. People like jokes about uh, <laughs> National disasters where yeah. uh, uh uh, large portions of your population die. People want me to make jokes about that. <laughs> when they um, when they sense our energy, they're like, "These guys are going to go for it." <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but um, we've been friends with Gethard a long time, so we were excited to have him on uh, just as a friend of ours. He's also a big comics nerd, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's a big fan of this podcast. Every Wednesday, there's a show called Planet Scum Live that Gethard hosts, and I and I co-host it with him and Christy Cello. And most weeks, Gethard will, if we had an episode come out that day, Gethard will have already listened to it and will have thoughts for me about it. It's very fun. Um, he's more into it than we are, I think. <laughs> that doesn't take a ton. It doesn't take a ton. And, um, and so we were really happy to have yeah. him back on. We, he we gets covered. mad at us when we don't release new episodes. I really was, I was really secretly happy about that. We'll often take, um, you know, a couple of weeks off in between our quote unquote seasons um, just to give us some schedule padding. And Gethard's like, what's going on? Today I was going to mow the lawn, thought I would listen to a good screw it. We're going to talk about comics episode. No episode. He definitely took it personally. Yeah. yeah um, well. Which I love. I mean, maybe it was personal. I can't I can't judge our subconscious strongly enough. I, we may do that despite him. I like that you're willing to take responsibility for almost any accusation that floats your way. Well, it just feels like feels like a thing we might do. I don't think we did it overtly. It's not mm-hmm. like we sat down and like we can't do it. We gotta we gotta tick off Gethard. Chris Gethard, damn. But there could be like let's take a week off, and we're like, well, we could do one. And then part of our brains are like, no, he that's what he wants us to do. Gethard is um the kind of fan who uh, writes letters in. Um, he he has had some letters published. Oh, my alarm just went off. Good heavens. Uh, he has uh, written um, letters into to comic books, but I don't even. I'm, I, what I'm saying is, he's the kind of like fan who like reads a comic, is passionately into it, analyzes it like crazy, and then has to tell everybody, you mm-hmm. know, like what he has discovered or realized about it, which is fun. It makes it fun to talk to him about this stuff. It's uh, it's also very fun. Both of his picks, uh, Triumph and Torment, as well as the Walt Simonson stuff, are things he discovered because of the Marvel Universe app. The um, online app that, that sort of gives you the back catalog of most old Marvel comics. Yeah. Marvel unlimited. Uh, these are not comics. He necessarily grew up reading. These are comics he's read now as an adult uh, re exploring the nooks and crannies, which is what Marvel universe is great for. I, I there's a bunch of stuff I want to go back. Like, like we are doing, we are rereading, we're reading for the first time the Claremont X-Men run that we had never read, but there's lots of runs we missed. Yeah. As kids that I want to go back and read the Grunewald cap. We talked about with, gathered a little bit that I want to go back and read. I want to read 
Ron Mars's uh, Silver Surfer run, I think is supposed to be really good. It ends with James DiMatteis' run. Uh, and I want to read that. Uh, um, I'm reading, because um, you know, normally I, I mostly have not read comics that came out after 1980, what, three? So um, I've been trying to catch up on some more modern stuff. I read Superior Spider-Man on the Marvel Unlimited mm-hmm. app. We're a big commercial for it. I, I guess we're being, it's one of those things where we do like it, right? So we're just talking about a product that we happen to actually, it sounds like it sounds like a deal, but nobody would make a deal with our podcast. Yeah, they, have, they they're not, haven't offered us anything. Um, it's just convenient. There's also a DC equivalent um, that I was, I, I had joined for a while. I'm not currently, but like, it just, if I'm not currently reading stuff, it doesn't make sense to pay for it. But I want to go and read the uh, new Titans, more of that. I want to read Brave and the, not Brave and the Bold, um, Batman and the Outsiders. Okay. Because uh, Alan Davis drew a lot of that and Mike Barnes supposed to be great. I want to re- go back and read that. Um, Justin Bridge, who emails us sometimes, keeps telling me to read Legion of Superheroes when Giffen was on art. And that's, uh, I'm sold. You sold, he, told yeah. me, he told me what issue is a good issue to start. And uh, one of these days I'll get around to doing that. Uh, all three of those books were sort of, New Titans preceded the other two by a little bit, but they both all sort of existed at the same time. They all were these hit titles that converted into uh, like deluxe edition mm. for direct markets only. They were like trying to like sell them to direct markets. They kind of like up the price, made nicer paper, maybe slightly longer stories. I don't, I don't even know, but like all three of those books became like deluxe books. So like they definitely were like the critically lauded books of DC's time. They, they all sort of like a pre-crisis hits that if crisis didn't happen, those are the books that were pulling DC out of sort of the, the, the mud of like old fashioned comics already. It was already happening even before crisis. Anyway, I want to read those books. There's lots of, and these apps are great for that sort of like, Oh, I can read this whole run. Yeah. And so bringing it back to our guest, I guess, Gethard, Gethard also is a Marvel Unlimited. (laughs) Yeah. Chris Gethard is a guest. And, um, and the Marvel Unlimited app seems to have helped him discover some stuff. And for the second episode, he's talking about something he discovered that way. So I really enjoyed this, this graphic novel lot. I hadn't heard of it. That means nothing because I'm yeah. I'm way more out of it than Kevin. I mean, but I, I, thought had, it was I really hadn't good. read it though. I will admit I, I'd heard of it, but I'd never gotten around to reading it. So it's good to have the excuse to read it. It's really fun and beautiful. Yeah. And we get it. We really get into the, to the issue on this episode. So oh, and it also, uh, yeah. it also made us do like a little Mephisto hell arc. Cause when we had JM, JM we talked about Mephisto's first appearance. Then last week, on our mutants episode, we talked about the X-Men going to Dante's Inferno. Yeah. And now once again, we're going to hell. And this is in October. So it's very fit. Well, actually today's November 1st, but we recorded these episodes in the Halloween season. Most of yeah. So it's been very fitting to have these hell comics. We should we planned things like that. It, uh, we really should cool. think about them. Yeah. We should mm-hmm. plan anything. Whenever I listen to any other comic book podcast, it's clear to me that they've like carefully outlined their conversation. They have like sources ready to go. They'll have they'll have some jokes, Kevin. Ready? I listen. Yeah, they, they sometimes they have jokes pre-written. Sometimes they're they're ad-libbing like us. I listened to a podcast on Carl uh, Bark's comic recently. The podcast was called Bark's Remarks. Uh, they were doing a podcast about the Lost in the Andes story, which is a really great Carl yeah, Bark's I, I read Donald that Duck story. And um, and I so I posted on their Facebook page. I'm like, oh, I really enjoyed this. Um, podcast uh and i and then I, he had 
posted something else there was like, oh, the, all the time they put into making their podcasts, getting guests, doing research, doing all this stuff. It, so he's doing like shorter ones in between the big, long um, stories that Carl Barks did. So he's doing like 10 page story coverage. He's like, I'm using that as just a break. So I don't have to do as much work. I'm like, oh, we should be doing work. We should be doing work. Like for us, it's like, oh, I got to read those comics. <laughs> that's that's the research we yeah. do. Yeah, that's it. Um, I don't know. I like what we do. So uh, this episode no, we're, is we're really bad. fun. We're bad and everyone knows it. <laughs> we're so we caused don't 9-11. Tell, don't tell Chris Gethard we're bad. We don't want to lose our, our listener. Yeah. Um, yeah, we caused 9-11. We, we yeah. troll Chris Gethard by not releasing episodes and um, we made a bad podcast. But another episode of that bad podcast is coming right up. And uh, we forget to do, we don't, we're not going to do an outro because I got so excited in the actual interview that I just wrapped it up in the interview. So that's, yeah. that's the outro. You walked away, right? As uh, we finished. Yep. Um, but uh, without further ado, please enjoy this episode on the triumph and the torment. But Kevin, I was, um, my wife has a friend who collected comic books growing up. And her son doesn't want them. She like saved them all for her son. Right. And he's like, she's like, he's just not interested. So she took all the DC out. She's like, I'm going to give DC to somebody who cares about DC, but I feel <laughs> like you should take care of the Marvel stuff. So I'm going through like merging her collection with mine and it's all 90s stuff. We're like around the same age. It's all stuff I grew up with. I'm like, oh, this is cool. Like some of these are doubles for me. Some of these are filling out stuff I have. And then all of a sudden this <laughs> pops up. Fantastic Four 49. I think, is that one you have, Will? No, I don't have that one. Oh, no. you have one with Galactus on the cover like that, I feel like. Yeah. That is crazy. That's pretty, that's really old, man. Yeah. So I texted her. I was like, hey, I have a feeling you did not mean to include this one along with all your like Marvel Comics Presents and Power (laughs) Pack. (laughs) She's like, no, I trust you to take care of it better than anybody else I know. So what a gift. Have at it. Yeah. It looks like it's in good condition. I, I, there's a part of me that wants to send a way to get it graded, but then, you know, you can never open it and read it again. Yeah. But then I'm like, I'll just read it on a tablet and not mess with it anyway. But the, the bad part is I also have on my wall framed already. When I was a kid, I came into possession of a copy of this man, this monster. Oh, know, wow. Which is like, that's the one to frame. I think that's the yeah. oldest comic I own. And I was sure. never a huge fantastic four fan, but it's this man, this monster. And it's I, iconic. Yeah. Every I, I feel like I don't know if you guys have said a version of this on the show before, but don't you feel like every Marvel fan, like their second or third favorite character is the thing? We've like never it, said that. That's first interesting. is not the thing. I feel like there's a lot of people who grew up in the X-Men era like I did, where they're like, ah, oh, the Fantastic Four were like old and lame. And like, yeah. I can appreciate that it was the beginning, but like Mr. Fantastic is never going to do it for me. You know? <laughs> right, right, right. Even people who think the Fantastic Four is lame were like, but the thing is rad. Like the thing rules. The thing yeah, is they- the most popular FF character. And I think prior to the X-Men, prior to Claremont's X-Men, probably the second most popular character at Marvel. Behind After Spider-Man, Spidey. right? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think of the thing as one of like the faces of Marvel. Like whenever there's like a collection of Marvel heroes promoting some contest, it's Spidey, the thing, and then like Captain America or something like that. Yeah. Hulk's up there too. Oh yeah. Hulk. Right. Um, But like the thing like had the team up book the same time Spider-Man did. Like those are the two entryway books. Like, Hey, you like Spider-Man and the thing. So read them and also meet the rest of the Marvel universe. 
Now I know I'm messing with like two fantastic for Should we be re- is this, I, are, are we going? I'm recording. Well, we're just, we're just going. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's a question I have for you. Cause I was starting with actually my friend who you both know and Kevin, we've known since we all took level one together. I was just catching up with Jamie Rivera. Okay. It's like another one of my comic book friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys used to hit the comic shop on the way to class every week. But yeah. In, in New Brunswick, the comic book store shut down. So when we started taking classes, we'd hit cosmic comics on 23rd street before class. And he was like saying, he's like, I'm worried that like the MCU is going to hit its tipping point. Like now that mm. Robert Downey, Chris Evans, they're all, you know, that first wave. And I was sitting there going like, yeah, and the TV stuff is really interesting, but like you got to really commit hard to like watching Loki and WandaVision, like, to, and then you got to hope that people get behind Anthony Mackie as Cap. And I'm sitting here, I'm going, well, really, you hope that they hold it together long enough to get the X-Men integrated into the MCU and ostensibly the Fantastic Four. But I wonder what you guys think of a Fantastic Four movie coming out in 2020. One, twenty-two, twenty-three. Because I'm have, like, I don't think I don't have high hopes unless they cut and run. <laughs> and now a thing movie, <laughs> I could see them making uh, an amazing thing movie. All right, Kev, what do you think of this? You better go before I do. I think an FF movie will be great. Like I would, <laughs> if you had told me they're going to make an Iron Man movie and a Thor movie, I'd be like, no, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I'd be mean, way more interested in an FF movie. And they made they made Iron Man and Thor good. Well, Iron Man in particular, look, Thor, I've gone back and read Simonson and I'm sure. like, okay, there were stretches but, where Iron Thor was amazing. But the fact that the MCU was built on Iron Man, yes, is that a is hilarious. And Simonson's, Simonson's run is great, but I do not think that is like mainstream appeal. Oh, no. And there, there's any mainstream appeal in there. Like they made him like charming and fun and interesting. I mean, the second movie is kind of a dud, but they made Thor a character. It's like, oh, I'm glad they're making more Thor movies is a thought I've had. Yeah, I am. I, Chris, I think you're totally right. Or Jamie's totally right. There is a tipping point. Like we're the old era is over and they have to like, it's like when a cast, a good established cast leaves SNL and they got to hope that somebody else can keep it running. Sometimes there's a couple dead years and then, you know, but then some more people come in and revitalize that show. Not for us because we're old and we don't care about it, but like for its, for its audience. So I think like, yeah, they got to get something new. And I think it's going to be, the TV shows. I think Loki and WandaVision are the future. That that was those shows were interesting. They had style. The MCU movies, I don't even care about them right now. Like Black Widow came out and that is a completely fine movie, like good. But I wasn't like psyched for Black Widow. I saw Shang-Chi. Um yeah, that was really good. I was again another character where I'm like I didn't really grow up reading Master of Kung yeah. Fu appreciate it but it was a really good genre film placed yes. within the mcu and i thought really smart to just have like light touches of dr strange to connect it in and not much else i, I did like i mean they're good right the mcu is good but i think they need something uh shang chi as as good as it was it was quite good was still a little bit more of the same and i think they need to break the formula a little bit and they're doing it on the tv shows i the, the bigger issue with the MCU is that, like in comic books, they replace characters all the time, right? Everybody has been Captain America for at least a week, but you can always go back to Steve Rogers. You can't do that in the movies. Like, you can't go back to Chris Evans. I mean, you could actually right now, but at, at some point, you won't be able to. Yeah. The, the actors won't be young enough or look right anymore. Robert, yeah. Robert Downey Jr. is coming up, is a, a better example than Chris Evans. Like, yeah. he's, he's pushing 60, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
uh, it, it gets, t- I mean, they're doing another Indiana Jones movie. So I don't want to say like when you can't <laughs> do another one, I guess, but at some point you can't even bring that guy back, even if like you write the story that brings him back. And so then, you know, and that'll happen to Anthony Mackie. It's like, who's the third Captain America, the fourth Captain America. At that point, do you even need Captain America? But then who do you have running the MCU? Like what characters are left at some point you need to reboot or recast and I think that gets really tricky in movies where like in comic books, like you could just draw Steve Rogers different if you decide oh, we want him to look different, but movies yeah, yeah. it's not Chris Evans and it's not Robert Downey. If somebody else ever plays Tony Stark, that's weird. Now that, but that brings up, bring, yeah. in, a, no in one, a continuous universe, right? Like if you stop the Marvel universe and restarted it, like they do with Batman movies every 10 years, yeah, you could cast somebody else. But I feel like you guys are dodging the fight I'm trying to have. Cause we're okay, all friends. Yeah. I already yeah. answered it. I, well, that's the MCU thing. I'm He's saying about FF and X Men, but I answered the FF. Can Mister Fantastic really carry? Our kids going to really? I be think interested uh, in Mr. I'll engage this fight a little more. Like, I think what you're saying, and I, I see what you're saying. The X Men come in. We, it's easy to imagine the X Men being cool in the movies. Well, they they have been cool in the movies. It's and it's so it's easy to imagine them being integrated. I think into the MCU somehow. I can see it being done badly, but I can also easily imagine it being done well. How do you get the FF in there? Because they are like redundant a little bit with both the X-Men and the Avengers. Because they're because they're weirdly the template for both of those things, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we've already had the Beatles and now we want Chuck Berry. It's like a little weird to go backwards. I don't know. If you can't imagine a cool human torch, invisible woman thing, and I don't care, Mr. Fantastic, stretching is a weird power. There's that Kevin Hines but, fire but a I want. super genius. Love it. A super genius leader of that team. That's a cool, that's a cool, and they're a family, right? That's different than anything I, you else. Know they're not a found family. They're an actual family. They I, are explorers. I love it. I think Look it can it. work. Get this you guy in need, a pitch room. You just need the right director. I don't know. Well, Again, like, and his name is make, Kevin Hines. Yeah. <laughs> Zero movie making experience. What a, what a roll of the dice by Marvel. They're yeah. a podcast host, Kevin Hines, to direct a, what is this, yeah. a six picture deal for the fantastic. Now, movie? which one of these is the camera? Let's start there. I need to get, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it, well, it's I think, crazy I do to think, think Mr. They, Mr. they can't make FF work. It's crazy to think that that wouldn't work just because you don't well, like, <laughs> Mr. Fantastic. Chris Gethard thinks Mr. Fantastic's lame. I don't think we should make this. This, movie. I do, this is crazy. Kevin's anger at knowing me since I'm 20. That yeah, is this, a very yeah. odd target of like, because you don't like Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> but if they were doing a Madrox the Multiple Man solo film, you'd oh, be all it over would work. It. <laughs> it would work. It would work. I mean, I'd like it too. But that's more of a, that sounds like a Disney Plus show. Though. I do think it's interesting how they handle Mr. Fantastic is how good the movie will be. Because I mean, they're is, doing yeah. Miss Marvel, who's got like, weird growing powers or some of some sort but that um, one oh yeah oh, Ms. Marvel, not captain marvel not Ms. captain marvel. marvel yeah this is yeah. the islamic uh girl from the jersey, jersey City. Like, yeah. yeah what i really like about ms marvel is um i only read like the first half an issue two, half an Couple issue and i think i got it i think i got two pages and i was like i got it no i read like the first two trades and I really enjoyed them what i really liked about it was it reminded me of jack kirby because her powers are like kind of weirdly awkward the way like Kirby hero, like she's got the embiggen power yeah. where like her fists get like really big and then like pummel stuff. And yeah. it, I mean this in a good way. It doesn't look like slick. It looks like kind of weird and awkward. And I'm like, that to me is a sign of, that means you're not being cliche. Like she's, she's kind of strange and like the art is got style. So I'm like, I don't know. I, I think that she's got a room for, yeah. for being cool. My only- I, 
the only issue I read with Miss Marvel is that she was tied into the Inhumans, uh, which she is just needlessly complicated. The Inhumans also bad uh, uh, movie or whatever they made with the Inhumans TV show, I guess. But uh, it also just complicates her character. Get, take out the Inhumans. I got no problem with Miss Marvel. She's cool. <laughs> that's the most particular take on Ms. Marvel that I love. I think that most people would agree with that. It has nothing I, to I, her character. I, I don't think it's a wrong take. I just think it's kind of like... It's if kind everyone's of like favorite saying, part of Miss Marvel is like, oh, she's related to Black Bolt, then I don't know what you're worried about. I, don't I know mean, what I, you... I agree that it doesn't work, but it... Kevin, I say this with love, but I yeah. think it's like, the only thing I don't like about Indiana Jones is that he went to university. He should be a self-educated guy. It's like, yeah, maybe. It doesn't matter. No, like, it's way different. Origins are a really complicated thing. It's, it's what makes Venom <laughs> such a pain in the butt, right? Gethard, you've been on the show now for 15 minutes. You're tearing the host apart, and I know you love it. Origins well, are I, really important. I hope like everybody to- also listening re- remembers the part where I set this up, and now you two are fighting. Which is <laughs> but, but origins Forte are complicated, right? Like, if, if the origin doesn't match the comic books... And the movie's great. It's 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 strange, right? The most movies they match the comic books, right? Batman, Superman, uh, Iron Man, all these things match the comic books. Venom, they have to change, like, because there's no Spider Man in the Venom movies, so his origin is different. But if yeah. you pick up like a Venom comic, it's like, oh, which is the real Venom, and which yeah, one's yeah, going to yeah, outlast yeah. the other one? And even if you have Venom in the Marvel universe, like, it gets complicated because. He, you've got to rush through that whole Spider-Man having the costume thing to get to Venom in one movie, or you have to spread it over multiple movies or have it be a TV show. And this Marvel tying it in the humans, is just like another step to, to explain, or you remove it. And if you remove it, why is it in the comics? It's too complicated. Simplify yeah. those origins. I mean, that's where mutants are so great. Cause the origins Once for a lot of them, the is they, they were born with it. And yeah. also, and born out of Stanley's laziness. Yeah. And stumbling into the most identifiable, yeah, human relatable. Or yeah, you of hit all time. you hit puberty born, and you're an outcast. Yeah, you hit puberty and you feel weird. Yeah, yeah. that's every kid can latch onto that. You don't need yeah. to get hit by a bomb in a desert to identify right. with. But, the but then the simple origin is just like a rogue kissed a boy and discovered yeah. she had powers, or uh, you know, Kitty Nightcrawler just was chased like through a the freak. floor. Yeah, yeah. Like their discovery of their powers is their origin. And it can just be like this or like Cyclops's uh, injury to his head or whatever. Like what those are we interesting in, things. Why don't we introduce the comic we're going to be talking about today? Can I close with one thing on this though? Of course. Just final closing thought I will say is MCU getting Fantastic Four, even if I don't have high hopes for a Fantastic Four movie personally, and I rooted for the first two and I was psyched with the trailer for that Silver Surfer one. I rooted for him undoubtedly getting fantastic four means they get both galactus and doom and that yeah. for mcu is to all of a sudden have two new legit you could hang six or seven movies on this guy villains yeah that's awesome anyway okay so you get a lot of cool characters you get a nihilist uh I, I assume he's tied into the ff i don't know but he's you like get, a cool villain you get you gideon get cool the billionaire stuff. you get gideon the, you get the monocle <laughs> kevin and I, kevin and when we did the first 103 issues of ff which was insane. It did remind us of like the lamer, you know, Kirby was crazy. He would do like a hundred characters a month. And you'd get like 20 strokes of genius and 20, like what, what's this, the human lamp or whatever. I love it. Yeah. Me really too. get pace pot Pete and the wizard, the wingless wizard in there. That's a the movie. wingless wizard. What a weird pace thing that you, the adjective Pete. is your lack of something. And wizards aren't generally known for wings anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> just, the, yeah. Most wizards <laughs> to my knowledge are wingless. Yeah. 
Here comes the wingless dog. But this one is what? as well. He's also talks about his gauntlets a lot. So I don't know why he's the not just the the gauntleted wizard or the something. Gloved That's his wizard. main thing. Um, I love uh, the wizard. So let's uh, let's talk about what we have here. What is the name of this? I just read this last night. We have a really great issue that we're going to talk about today. Graphic issue, novel. Uh, graphic I mean, this novel. is a this is one of the uh, early original graphic novel type things. I was excited. I was excited to pick this, and I, I don't know much about it. As opposed to like, have you, had you read it before? So, this is Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, The Triumph and the Torment, 1989, uh, or Triumph and Torment. Yeah. This was a thing when I was a kid that you kind of knew it was out there because you'd see it advertised, but it was really, really hard to find. And I, I didn't love Doctor Strange, like Doctor Doom, but it was expensive. The cover was. It was cover price, I think, was seven, six or seven bucks, which back then is six or seven comics. So as a little kid in 1989, I'm going, if I have six dollars, I can get six comics or one comic, you know? Yeah. And then it was really hard to find as a back issue, but I'd always heard it was good. Went back and read it on Marvel Unlimited, and I loved it. And and part of the reason I was excited to talk about it with you guys, Will, I know you hadn't read it. Kevin, absolutely I'm not, not. Sure if you had. I had not read it. See, I was so excited because I'm like, you guys love Fantastic Four. And this is like Dr. Doom. I feel like I read this and was like, oh, there's a lot of other things I've read in Dr. Doom that are referencing this is the impression I get. The stuff with Mephisto and his mom. Yeah. And then Dr. Strange, you guys love Fantastic Four. You got Dr. Doom. You guys love Curb or, or Ditko, Ditko more than anybody. Mm -hmm. And this is like a huge Dr. Strange thing. This is probably the first comic I read where I was like, oh, Dr. Strange is coming off super slick and cool, as opposed to when I grew up with Dr. Strange, where he seemed kind of like a cheese ball in my era, in the same way that Thor did, you know, where I was like, mm -hmm. this feels antiquated or, or whatever. So this was not something I had a childhood love for but I'd always heard it was good. And then I read it probably three or four years ago when I got Marvel Unlimited and I loved it. I was really excited to pick your guy's brain about it because I feel like it's got the Ditko angle. Oh yeah. Fantastic Four angle. It's, and it's, it's built for a Heinz Brothers conversation. It's, <laughs> Mignola's art, I mean, uh, would it's be the selling awesome. point to me more than anything else because he is great. He so makes just, everything just look great. Yeah, just to annotate what my what my uh, co-podcast conversationalists are saying. We got Doctor Strange, the Steve Ditko, the second the second biggest Steve Ditko character at Marvel, easily. Uh, Doctor Doom, a Jack Kirby villain, one of the great Jack Kirby villains, maybe second only to Darkseid, maybe the, maybe the number one Kirby villain, if you want, Doctor Doom. Uh, Roger Stern's writing it, who is big Spider-Man writer. Big Avengers um, writer. Big Avengers. Big, just big Marvel writer. One arc of the Avengers that everybody, that was, you know, Marvel Unlimited, one of the great things is you get to go in and go like most underrated Marvel runs. And everybody always brings up this Roger Stern Avengers three issue stretch where the Masters of Evil take over Avengers Mansion. Yeah, it's great. That? It's yeah, I've read awesome. that. Oh, I read his whole run. Good. I went back and read his whole run. Um, his whole run on the Avengers is great. I, I think better than his Spider-Man run, which I think is great. He also had runs on... Doctor Strange and and uh, lots of other books. He wrote like everything a little bit. Um, he also, you know, he wrote the kid who collects Spider Man among many other mm -hmm. uh, great stories. So and Roger Stern, Goblin was him. Yeah, Roger Stern's a Marvel um, icon, and then yeah, Mike Magnolia, who's most famous for doing Hellboy and just an incredible artist. Any which way you slice it, this is early Magnolia art, um, and it's it's a little different than the style that we would come to know him by. But I can still see foreshadowing of the later Magnolia in this. And that's exciting. Yeah. Gethard, you picked a great one. I had never heard of this. Never heard of it. 
I'd never heard of it. Wow. I'm an idiot. I haven't read comics wow. since 1986, so I don't yeah, know what this was. I mean, if, if Dazzler's not in it, I don't care. I don't know, but this was like a period where Marvel was churning out these weird graphic novel things. This was a big one. I remember hearing about it. I you was know like, what it is? I didn't spend money on it, but I knew of it, and I knew even what it was about. I think uh, it came out in 89. It came out in 89, and I went to college in 88. So from 88 to 92, I completely dropped out. There was no mm. comic book store at my college. I went to the University of Connecticut, which is really in the sticks. No movie theater, no stores. Ironically, the town is called stores, but like, so like I didn't see any movies. Like I didn't see Silence of the Lambs until I was like 30 or something. But anything that happened between 88 and 92 that was like culturally huge, I just missed, including comic book stuff. And Kevin, what was the deal? Like I looked up the Marvel graphic novels. Now, my assumption is that graphic novels were starting to get big in like the indie world, the creator owned world. And Marvel was going, we can be a part of this and give creators some some like leeway to go tell crazier stories. And I looked it up. There's a lot of really weird ones that aren't Marvel characters that Marvel published. Yeah. I realized like this is a huge gap in my Marvel knowledge as far as what was going on with this series of graphic novels. I don't fully know. I mean, I think it was mostly just taking advantage of comic shops, right? Because uh, once comic books started being sold in specialty shops, direct market comic book shops, they were just trying different stuff. And collections became big because of Dark Knight Returns and um, uh, a few other books like that, probably Batman Year One. Uh, like those collected editions sold so well and Watchmen as a collected edition sold so well that they sort of like, oh, let's just start making things because they didn't collect everything. So they're like, let's make other things that we can sell as graphic novels. Uh, and so Marvel started like a, a line of graphic novels. And some of it was like, that's where New Mutants launched from was one of these graphic novels. The first New Mutants story was one of these just original graphic novels. I don't remember how long it was, but like that was the first issue of New Mutants. Uh, in a sense, I think Excalibur was after that. Alex Excalibur is something different, but there's a bunch there's of these. There's like one called like the Wolf Pack, um, which is like about a, like a gang of uh, like, I don't know, like a warriors type ripoff or something. There's weird things like that that came out, but there's also a Spider-Man one like um, Parallel Lives that established that Mary Jane always knew. Ooh, I love that one. That's that's a, what's one of these graphic novels and Hookie was the other another Spider-Man one, which I've never read. How about, where, do, where do we fall in with stuff like Love and War? There's the Frank Miller Daredevil one that came out in the mid 80s. And then like that was published as a. Yeah, I mean, know, I, it probably was part of this. It was just like it was weird that like, instead of collecting Born Again or collecting uh, maybe they probably collected Born Again. But instead of collecting Frank Miller's early stuff, they're like, just do something made for this. Yeah, because I think they looked at like collections of books as not a sure thing. Cause like we've sold these already. Who's going to buy it again. Right. Let's, they didn't realize the money that idiots like us would buy things. We love like six times every time yeah. they come out with a new format. I mean, everything gets collected now too. It's like even bad comics are collected. So it just doesn't matter. Like it's like there's six issues or something, put it into a volume. Uh, but back then they didn't do that. So like this stuff was their way. And probably also, I bet this stuff was in bookstores a little bit, but I don't know that for sure. So it might've also been a way to break into good. that. The yeah, God lives. God, man God loves, man kills. kills. Yeah. It's and like li good and more adult than X-Men. And like even listening to you guys talk about the X-Men, there's so many things where you're like, oh yeah, they're like indicating. Uh, like, yeah, like they'll hint at like sexual assault. Um, it's like, this is not hinting. This is like violent mm -hmm. and gory and on the nose allegory, like a, 
a crazy reverend killing mutants because they exist and it's an affront to God and like a lot of the stuff that especially X2 which you yeah. know, I feel like really X2 is a tremendous movie. super superhero movies like the turning point where I think superhero movies started to become like culturally ubiquitous a lot yeah. of it showed up in there yeah I love that that collect I read that story after X2 because I heard X2 was inspired by that so I went back and read it um that's another one I have yet to read, but I had heard of God Loves, Man Kills. So it's Old Man Hines. It's a great title. Claremont, it's a fantastic that's, title. That's part of Claremont's, right? Days of Future Past. Ooh, another good one. Phoenix Saga. I like love, I love Claremont. He's, he's uh, you know, purple prose. Like, you know what I mean? Like when he like, he's a great, like, uh, I don't know, like peacocking wordsmith. Like he'll get, he'll, he's kind of like, he's kind of like a better Stan Lee. You know, Stan Lee would be kind of cheesy with his like hoary hosts of Hoggoth kind of things. And Claremont also liked a mouthful of a phrase, but he just had cooler ones. Like he's a know, modern Cla- Stanley. Yeah. Claremont dialogue. Or the ages well. Stanley. Better. Yeah. I mean, it's such a weird thing to say. It's like, I don't know. Like if, if Claremont yeah, yeah, was I doing know. this in the sixties, it would have been just as bad. I know what you're saying. Um, but he does have a spirit yeah. of Stan in a way, but he, it yeah. just ages better. Like the dialogue we are reading in these old X-Men comics is great. Like these comics don't read as old to me. Yeah. But I also think like the reason that he doesn't sell now is because it does read like eighties comics. People read the stuff and they're like, Oh, it's so wordy. It's overly wordy. What is all this? Like, can we jump? Let's, that does happen. Question for you guys. The dedication page on this graphic novel, which I'm holding up to our guests. Oh, it doesn't quite show up on Zoom. I, I have it. But it's like, okay, Roger Stern thanks Stan, Jack, and Steve. Makes total sense. He's thanking the Marvel founders because he's using some big Marvel founding characters. And then he thanks Carmela uh, Merlo, which I assume is his wife. I don't know. But it's like some sort of personal thanks to somebody who has supported him. Also, very common for a dedication. And then Magnolia's dedication just says for Al Milgram, who's a longtime Marvel writer and editor. What's and that about? And artist. Yeah. So what's that about? I don't know. Well, go find out. <laughs> if anybody's <laughs> listening, I would like to know what, because I just, I looked up Magnolia's like Wikipedia page to see what his relationship mm-hmm. was to Milgram. Like maybe Milgram was like a mentor who like helped out Magnolia or hired him for the first time or something like that. Uh, don't I don't know. I'd be curious to know that. Yeah, I don't know either. Okay, well, that's a question for our listeners. Yeah, I think Al Milgram is underrated, but... um, I I put Al Milgram in the same category as... um, Oh, who's the guy who did, like, Manhunter? Every now and then, there'll be, like, a Marvel editor or a comics editor. Archie Goodwin? Yeah, Archie Goodwin. That lots of guys will be like, oh, this dude was, like, crucial. Not not like a rock star, not like a name. I think of Len Wein like this. Len Wein was more famous, but, like... Some of these editors' names show yeah. up on tons of good things. Yeah. I and as, Archie, Archie's more like a Jim Shooter level. Archie's pretty big, but... But he's not like cares. a household name, right? Like no, Chris Claremont, lots of people have heard the name Chris Claremont. Mm-hmm. Alan Moore, of course, totally famous. Yeah. Archie Goodwin? I would not put Archie sure. in but that But I would level. say Jim Shooter, nobody knows him either. So. Okay, right. So I, I don't know. Of, I like, like if you're, you're not household. Again, to go back to SNL, if you're an SNL fan you're like oh jim downey is a name that that a lot of people cite as one of the crucial writers who's maybe not like rock star famous i don't know i think al milgram might be one of those dudes i'm I'm always curious to learn about that stuff all right let's get into this get should we should we take our fake break oh okay yeah let's take a fake break why not 
Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, we might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks. In advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. Back from our fake break. Um, <laughs> I just nice. wanted, I don't know if we've said this to our listeners. For our fake break, we really do just sit in silence for like about the real amount of time of the break because that's easy for me to find when I'm editing so I can like mark the segments, mm -hmm. which is why we do it. <laughs> but it is sort of odd that like we record it live and just sit here silently. It would be like if like Jimmy Fallon or something on the talk show breaks just sat at his desk in silence for the duration of a real commercial break and then just sat up and started talking again. That's what we do. I, I was scared to talk. I, <laughs> it, it I always worry I'm going to ruin Will's editing. Make his job harder. <laughs> I get totally mad. Gethin, I'm so excited you're on our episode again, by the way. Since we just dove into the conversation, oh. I didn't get a chance to say, like, you are so articulate and such a passionate fan. We're all good friends. You are, like, the ideal guest. And I'm just glad that I'm glad that you have time to do it. Listen, happy to be here. Also, we had already picked this one, but in a very recent episode, either last week or the week before, I do want to just, for the sake of any listeners out there who are like me, who care too much about your guys' opinions on comics, you'd both really love New Warriors. You'd love it. it okay. I, I, I don't it, know. I'm not going to claim it was great, but it recaptured some of the early Marvel stuff. They always, right? Marvel always tries to like come up with a new gang of characters and recapture the early spirit of Marvel vibe. And New Warriors is one where they kind of actually did it for the 90s. Yeah. Someday I think, we're going to get you into it. Someday I'm going to, you're going to have me I, back a third time. I'm going to pick some <laughs> random ass issue of new warriors and we're all going to be, that might just be our age difference though. Cause like I didn't like nineties to me are when Marvel got bad. And I think new warriors sure. always look like one of the things that was like, Oh, this part of Marvel is where Marvel isn't like, not everything was bad. It's like, oh, this part's not so bad. I'm like, ah, I'm not gonna, <laughs> so I'll much of it is bad. I'm not going to go into this this weird book with a guy on a skateboard. I'll and, check it out. I'll uh, check it out. Uh, it's the skateboard. And, and Speedball, who I love. <laughs> but it's just like, I don't I don't need to read that. This looks, it looks fine. But Marvel Unlimited it makes this stuff I like. I believe it was good. Well, you can just, I, you can just get it on Marvel Unlimited. That's the great, I mean, we're basically yeah. becoming a commercial for Marvel Unlimited. But I do love that if you're curious about something, hey, why not just like download it, check yeah. it out. Like I'll check it out. But there's so many things that I need to check out. I still haven't read any Grunewald, Captain America. That's higher I just on my list. I just reread that entire run and we got to talk about it. Yeah. Gotta <laughs> talk. It's the most fascinating the Michelini Iron Man's uh, demon in a bottle type stuff. I haven't read that stuff. Oh, like, that's it's like, great. So it's like, why am I going to read new warriors? I'm, okay. I'm going to say a couple things here. And again, <laughs> I know my Thor's episode was sprawling and we haven't even gotten to page one of China, yeah, yeah. but new warriors night thrasher being brand new and having a skateboard is regrettable. It is, he's like half snake eyes, half TMNT on a skateboard. It's not a good look. That being said, they make him an interesting character. Firestar Marvel Boy, really, really good and interesting in that. And Nova, who's a pretty beloved character, who I'd be shocked if you two didn't have some love for Nova. I have only read later era Nova, Annihilation, Space Nova. 
this Firestar and Marvel Boy have a real good Cyclops, Jean Grey, like love affair. Marvel Boy has some real insecurities. And Nova, Nova has lost his powers at the beginning of it. And Night Thrasher takes him by the neck and throws him off a building at the very, either issue one or two when he's assembling the team. And he starts flying again. And he's like, how do you know that my powers were like in there? And this was a mental block. He's like, yeah, I didn't. Like you were either going to be dead or on my team. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> New Warriors has some cool stuff going on. Anyway, yeah. and the other thing you just mentioned, Mark Grunewald, I want to say it's fascinating. I read every issue in that run. It's a I'm long run. A real long run, like 12 years or something. I'm going to say a couple of things, which is one, the Cap Wolf saga, which people slam as one of the worst things Marvel ever did, is actually really fun. It's fine and it's earned it is a horror. It's like three issues where he does a horror movie inside Captain America. And it is not as dumb as people think based on how hard Cap Wolf gets slammed. But I'll also say there's this dialogue now that like, oh, if there hadn't been Claremont's X-Men, Simonson's Thor, Miller's Daredevil, everybody would be talking about Grunewald's Captain America. Like, yeah, there's a thing of like, this is the most underrated. But I'm going to go ahead and say temper your expectations because... It's so often now cited as underrated that it weirdly is now overrated it's in a way. Weirdly now a little overrated. There's yeah. some flaws in it. There's some flaws in it. There's a reason why it didn't initially take that mantle. It's with- awesome. The thing yeah. that makes that we'll get into. Somebody will talk about it. just the quick bullet points are: it came out twice a month, so he used to have to do backup issue, backup stories like six, seven page backup stories with B mm-hmm. characters, and he creates this almost like Captain. America's cinematic universe, we would call it today. Yeah. And that stuff's awesome. He explores all the B characters and their own stuff. Mark Greenwald has an addiction to having every character nickname each other with just a Y at the end. So characters constantly, <laughs> it would be as if you guys just called me Chrissy constantly and I called you Kevy and Willie. Everyone's Cappy. King Cobra is Kobe. Diamondback is Dimey. Every crossbones is Crossy. Every character is constantly calling each other. That He can only do that with me. What a strange thing. And it becomes so wildly infuriating to 12 years of it. It's, it's shocking. And That's then there's on- all... There's That's a regrettable shooter. Shooter stretch. Shooter should have noticed that. Yeah, and they also have a really regrettable stretch where they make his job that he's the guy who draws the Captain America comics for Marvel. Yeah, yeah, that's dumb. And it's that's dumb, and they bail on it pretty quick. But otherwise, there's some really great stuff in there, and it's fucking weirdly more violent. Sorry, I cursed. More violent in stretches than I thought. But yeah, it's it's now so underrated, it's overrated. But it's him, pretty good. Him being a comic book artist is very dumb, uh, almost as dumb as him walking around with his shield on his back under his jacket, which is just insane, (laughs) an insane thing. There's some stuff in there. There's also that doesn't work in any realm. When you guys read it, Kevin, when you read it, you got to call me or we got to talk about it because there's a stretch, like a six inch stretch called the Bloodstone Hunt, which I think was before the Infinity Gauntlet. And it's kind of like it's people going around looking for these gems. And if you get all the gems, you're ultra powerful. But there is a thing that happens in the Bloodstone Hunt that is so funny. And it's one of those things that happens in comics sometimes where they back them, they write themselves into a corner and then have to just bail on a thing. And it's so funny that I have to. I'm very excited. All right. Yeah. It's, I have like a list of like 10 classic runs that I want to read. And that's one of them, uh, DC and Marvel. 
I feel like I know your taste well enough to say, uh, but now I'm going to say it and it'll never come true because you're also stubborn as a mule and you have been <laughs> since the day. I In a vacuum without me saying this, I would say you'd probably enjoy New Warriors more than Grunewald's Captain America run. Having it's also shorter, right? It's also easier to read. Long yeah. though. But I think fun wise, it's fun in a way that I think you like. But now yeah, that maybe ever happen because you're yeah. Kevin Hyde. I can't, I can't admit it to you. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just, it, there's nothing about that series that draws me in. It, you're not the only person who's told me to read it. Uh, I just look at it and I'm like, oh, that was just coming out when I was the, it came out in an era when it was, it was the last thing I was interested in reading it was like another teen, team Marvel book with like, you know, yeah, Kevin will list characters. I can hear it. Kevin will never read this. Yeah. And I, I like a lot of those characters later. I mean, Nova's. Uh, run in the um, cosmic universe that that led to the Guardians of the Galaxy is great, and uh, Ma uh, Marvel Boy and Firestar joined the Avengers during Q six run, and they're great in that. But it still doesn't. It, that hasn't brought me back to New Warriors. I don't know what will. Okay. Well, All right. I love how long we have not talked about. Dr. Yeah, let's, yeah, so let's just walk through it. <laughs> so um, I I want to say overall, I'd never really heard of this. Never read it. I read it yesterday and I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's a great, it's got like epic scope. It's a good like type of story for a longer form format. This is like 81 pages or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I, re I really enjoyed it. And it's, you know, the challenge of Dr. Doom is his name is so insane that to make you like take him seriously is kind of a challenge. But this book does cast that spell where it is moving and touching I thought, and you know, it won it won me over. Like he, he Doom needed a normal name, like Stephen Strange, something that just like that you Stephen believe. Strange. Like they both have flashbacks, and it's like his father, Werner von Doom, and you know, and then Strange has a flashback to being a doctor, Doctor Stephen Strange. Where yeah, imagine if that was the guy operating on you. My, I just had a my recent doctor here in L.A. His last name was Kardashian, and I couldn't stop thinking about it every time. He has to be related, right? I don't know. I couldn't. I didn't have the guts to ask him. He was a very, very nice guy. That's um, so good. But it was especially in LA to have Doctor Kardashian be like the guy you're having an appointment with is like really funny. Be like Doctor yeah. Spielberg or something. All right. So um, yeah, they're they're equals. What did you guys think of this <laughs> overall, Kevin? What'd you think? I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, I I liked it more for the art. I think than anything else. This the, ma the magic in the Marvel universe. I think magic's always a tricky thing. Oh, you're fussy about just, that. I mean, this is mostly this blasting. Like they mostly use magic to shoot lasers. Uh, there's no rules to it, and the, it gets tricky. But the art was really cool, and the story served the art well. So I enjoyed that aspect of it. I mean, it's um, really something. Magnolia, who's famous for Hellboy and all of Hellboy's adventures into hell in the hellboy comics hell is like you know really like explored and mapped out you visit all these realms and these characters hellboy himself being born in hell and this is an adventure into the marvel hell there's a lot of art that's foreshadowing what hellboy comics would do you know it's kind of fun yeah and it's a good use of mephisto who i think sometimes can seem silly here he seems like a legit threat which we're is having a lot of our guests cool. go to mephisto issues because jm yeah. dimateus did a silver surfer versus mephisto and these episodes are in october it's good halloween halloween yeah. theme accidental stuff. theme yeah do we Not want really gethard to talk Geth, what i don't was think like, so we don't i don't want to hear from gethard i'll say uh, a no. <laughs> i uh i i've i'm not really an art person i don't know why i've never been a visual thinker like being a fan growing up you know being a teenager in the 90s like 
everyone was flipping out about Jim Lee, Rob Layfield, the artist. And I always, always was like, I like the right, like I knew I like the, like, that's why Peter David's run on X Factor. It's not flashy like that, but the writing was so crisp and funny and smart. And I could talk about that run forever. But this, I will say the art jumps out at me right away where you look at it. And I was reading it on my phone on Marvel Unlimited, where I generally um, zoom in panel by panel, but I made a point of zooming back out page by page because you can tell you can, this is not traditional Marvel style where you can tell with these graphic novels, they were telling these artists like make these look visually Mm -hmm. distinct and nuts. And, And so that jumped out and it was cool. I would say too, like I never, I was never totally exposed to Dr. Strange growing up. I really liked him in this. And Dr. Doom was always a villain that I would generally see Dr. Doom like acts of vengeance when he's showing up and fighting other people. Cause I'd never really read mm-hmm. fantastic four, but I remember reading some fantastic four stuff as a kid, I think during the John Byrne stuff. Yeah. And I was always confused. Cause it was like, you never know if it's a robot of Dr. Doom or right. 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 And then there's a little kid, Dr. Doom, right. Yes. Like, yes. Some of that stuff would always Christoph. Was that his name? Yeah. Right? Yeah. His like, his essence goes into a kid for a while or yeah, something. So I always found it confusing, but at its Gross. core, it was clear. Like Dr. Doom is like, the Darth Vader, you know, like he's the most yeah. badass guy in the Marvel universe at his core. So I do remember reading about some of the Mephisto stuff, kind of picking it up piecemeal through issues I'd pick up here and there. I always found it very interesting and humanizing. And I think I'm almost the opposite, Kevin, where like the magic stuff in this, the idea that there's all these sorcerers spread out over the globe and they all get summoned by this guy, the aged Genghis. I like, I don't know how much of this background was covered in Ditko era Stephen Strange stuff. But I was like, this is cool that there's all these sorcerers all over. Who's this guy, the aged Genghis? I'm like, this is wild. Right. I think this is doomed to show up in a ship and be like, I, you guys all think I'm technology, but actually there's more under it. And I'm about mysticism too. So it what just struck me as cool. What Gethard is referring to is the um, opening of the story is a sort of ancient mystic who calls himself the aged Genghis. I do not know if this is a Doctor Strange character or not. He seems sort of parallel to the ancient one, which is the person who taught Doctor Strange all of his magic. Uh, Aged Genghis summons all of the great sorcerers of the globe to have a contest, which apparently he says he does every hundred years by order of the god Vashanti. And um, so they all show up, and that includes Doctor Strange, but it also includes Doctor Doom, because Doom has studied a lot of mystic stuff. And what makes Doom unique amongst all of these people is he also has science ability. None of these other none of these other guys do. So, right. And so then they have to battle each other, and it basically comes down to Strange versus Doom, and Strange right. wins. They right? don't battle but each other at all, but um, yes. they're all involved in a challenge. They're, yeah, there's like a, a challenge that they're all doing uh, side by side. Yeah. They're kind of the only two smart enough. Like this challenge clearly, it's really cool. Like this challenge is basically rigged so that everybody else charges into a fight. And it's, it's kind of like strange is the only one smart enough to realize he should take his time. Yeah. He has a cool head. He doesn't need to just like start going like, here's my first instinct. I'll try it. And everybody else has fallen into these traps. Strange is kind of like, this is simpler than, this is a lot simpler than all of us are realizing. He's the only one smart enough to realize it's actually simple. And then Doom is kind of hand in hand with that nefarious because he's Doom. So he has, I thought oh. it was really cool. He has all this technology that's memorizing what the other sorcerers are doing as he watches them, right? Wasn't yeah. that what he's it was? Got like it's implied, yeah. Yeah, he's got like Iron Man like technology that's like yeah. scanning everybody and tracking stuff. 
So he's like he's learning spells by being here. He's like, I'm not going to rush in. I'm just going to soak up what I can get. So they're the only two taking their time, which leaves them as the last two standing. And then the story effectively becomes that um, whoever wins owes the second place. place, For second place, you basically get to call in a favor from the first place. That's the second place prize. And Doom goes, you're going to help me free my mother's soul from Mephisto, which I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a that's a cool setup. I just think it's for me the magic part. The reason that it doesn't do much for me is because like, hey, how are we gonna like their their thing is they have to get the uh, aged Genghis out of the stone, and they all just blast it with beams. It's like oh, they all try different spells, but on the page it just looks like five or six different laser beams hit this rock, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that's it. That's all that happens. Mostly the spells that we see throughout this eighty pages is cool looking because uh, Magnolia draws great lasers coming out of people's hands yeah and not I, just lasers coming out of people's hands kevin there's always a circle orb around their hands and yeah. a laser coming out of that so let's get it right you're right in action it's not the most impressive but it the implication that there's like deep in this part yeah. of the world this source and although we i can also say too this was in 1989 oh right i know what you're gonna talk about i don't know how well i don't know that anybody today would say let's bust out the aged genghis and then there's a series of sorcerers where some of them seem pretty interesting yeah. and then some of them are like i'm the guy from the island mom like <laughs> yeah, there's right, like right, that right, there's right, also yeah. that comic joke of like i'm the sorcerer from the island and like yeah yeah, yeah. Few, he's his mom like four just, times yeah there's a but, few that are just kind of like racial trope shorthand writing which is but these characters any of wasn't good then and is worse now yeah. these characters don't exist right but they there is kind of i mean the good side of what gethard is referring to is you get glimpses of this international cadre of sorcerers. Like there seems to be a guy from London who's got like a sort of like buttoned up waistcoat and he looks sort of like an inspect, you know, like a, like an old inspector type. Um, Yeah. You don't learn anything about them, but it feels kind of Alan Moore league of extraordinary gentlemen sort of thing where they're, where they're rounding up all these, all these people. And it could be interesting to like, if we had spent some time, even just a couple of pages learning about them. Before they all get dispensed with. But maybe they had to get to the main story, which is Doom and Strange go to hell. Well, it's really, I really like the writing from Stern too, because I think the thing that's appealing to me as a a guy who's a huge comic fan, um, I think I started reading right around this year. But all my, all the entertainment that I've like kind of gone in for my whole heart the most, it's like when you're reading Spider-Man and you don't really know about the X-Men and then all of a sudden you're like, wait, there's like a thousand of them. And I can go learn about all of them, you know, or yeah, you, like when you watch the movie, the warriors, Kevin, you mentioned it before where you're like, wait, what's there's a gang with ba- face paint and baseball bats. Wait, there's this other gang on a bus and they all have shaved heads. Like um, even like teenage mutant Ninja turtles, when you're like, Oh, Casey Jones, he's, is he a good guy, a bad guy? Like, Oh wait, rat King's a bad guy, but he'll sometimes help them out as long as they stay out of his way. And then, Oh, but then like uh, you got, you know, Usagi Ojimbo. Oh, wait, Usagi Ojimbo was his own comic that pre and okay, like within just a few pages, Stern does set up a world of this sorcery where, like yeah. I said, I don't know if Ditko and, and Lee had laid this out prior, but within just a few pages, I was like, cool. Meet it, every hundred years for the Sorcerer Supreme battle from all corners of the globe. That's cool. Very like, cool. 
Now, nerdy question that I don't think either of you guys know. I thought Strange was the Sorcerer Supreme already. Like, why is he battling he is, for that title? He is in this book. Oh. But I th- he seems to win the title again. Someone calls him the Sorcerer Supreme, and he goes, I prefer the title Master of the Mystic Arch or something like that. Which oh, I've okay. heard both. I was like, oh, maybe so formalizing it. Or- in, in the original Ditko series, he was the master, well, of the Black Arts, and then it became Mystic Arts uh, during that run. He doesn't become the Sorcerer Supreme until the Ancient One dies, which okay. may or may not have been during Ditko's run, but it was at the end of it if it happened, okay. or it may have been in somebody else's run. But he is definitely the Sorcerer Supreme in this storyline. Okay. This is basically like he could have lost the title. Okay. Okay. But when he All first right. shows up, he's called that. Okay. And he's cool. sort of like, nah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, uh, I see. So, yeah. So, but the meat of the story is when Doom uses his boon to tell strange come help me rescue my mother i haven't been able to do it on my own and um yeah it's it's a even though i i Gethard had told me that was the gist of the plot i had forgotten so when that happened i was like pleasantly surprised because i'm expecting doom's going to be requesting power or some kind of like help me defeat reed richards or whatever but he I, wants to save his mom and i knew strange that it was can't about say that. No to that i knew it was about that too not from Gethard, but just from knowing it because I uh, I've heard of this comic, but I was like ten pages in. I was like, oh, is this about some sort of contest? Instead, I was like, is there another graphic novel I'm supposed to be reading? And I had to like go check yeah. to make sure. I was like, I had a moment of doubt, like yeah. it, it sort of buries the lead until uh, pretty deep into the story. I like all that setup. I think it, it's cool and it adds a lot of color. Yeah, but because I was expecting it to be, hey, you've got to help me do this. So I was like, when does that come in? And how much you guys might know this better than I do. And if not, that's fine. But as far as this idea that Doom had like a, a a mother who was almost like a witch in a way, yeah. How much of that pre-exists this graphic novel, and how much is Stern making this up? Kevin does know this. It all pre-exists, right? Because it was all in the origin of Doctor Doom, the annual, the FF annual. That, Jack Kirby set it up. Yeah, Jack Kirby created this whole backstory with his mom being a witch and his dad dying. And then him finding this uh, chest of magic books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yes. all in the Fantastic Four annual number two. And, and I don't know when it was established, but his the invention that scarred his face was to look into, try to find his mother's soul. Yeah, that was added after Kirby, I feel like. I think so, too. Um, and then also John Byrne added the thing, not the the character, the thing, but the, the element of um, that Doom's face was very minorly scarred by the initial accident in the dorm. And then yeah, the Reed Richards caused uh, in his mind caused accident. Right. It was part of the mythology of Kirby that like doom and Reed were at college together. Doom tries this experiment. It goes wrong and it scars his face horribly. And then it was later. Reed. He blames Reed, even though Reed tried to warn him. Right. And then it was later sort of, you know, retconned that, he was trying to find his mother in that experiment. And also his scarring wasn't that bad, but he was just so vain that even like a little scarring, you know, enraged him. And then when he gets his metal armor made, the hot metal on his face fully scars him. That was a John Byrne addition to the doom mythology. And Roger Stern refers to all those things in this sum up. Yeah. So he's not creating this mythology. He's just kind of saying, Let's take these pieces of this puzzle and really mm-hmm. blow it out on an adventure. Correct. With Correct. I don't think it had been. I mean, it may have been by somebody established that Doom every year tried to free his mother. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think that's in this, but 
Yeah. I don't even know if it had been established that his mother was in hell. Maybe Byrne did that though. I forget. I forget about I that. I think part. it, I think that was established, but I'm not, I'm not but sure. But not either. the annual Stern is the one who put focus on it. Like, it's not like I've read every FF story. It could have been established in like a Marv Wolfman story for all I know. But, but yeah. and, and which years was Byrne on Fantastic Four? Uh, mid eighties. No, mid- late eighties. No, no, mid. Know. It was like, mid-80s. it was like he was doing it by 83. Like, um, but it was, I don't know, issue 232 to 296. So like something like five years. Oh yeah. Predating. Yes. Burn was done He's, with FF by the time yeah. this happened. Um, so a lot, some of this had been established, but I do think that Stern is kind of like focusing on the emotional part of it more than I ha- I have read before. Well, Stern is, is, is not quite to the level, but he's like Busick in that sense that he can take like, all these threads that already exist and kind of weave a cool story out of it. Like he doesn't need to, he can say like, Oh, that stuff's just sitting here for us to play with. Let's play with it. He's good at yeah. that. So I, that's an interesting perspective. Cause I feel like for me, this was stuff that I knew was part of dooms like a uh, story, but this was the first place where I ever read and went, Oh great. I get to sink my teeth in it. I got to go back and read that annual, obviously and this and that for you. That- so you the guys chat, are a the little less blown away. This is blowing my mind a little bit of like, oh, amazing. The mysticism, the mom, witch stuff. This is I, less blowing you away. Yeah, but I think it. it's still it's well told. Me. It's well told. Yeah. But like, it's not like I didn't know that. It's not new information. Because the Jack Kirby annual, which is truly great. Fantastic Four annual number two is a really great read. It's really satisfying and fun. And it like updates. It transforms the Doom character from a joke into a great character so it's yeah, really he's, impressive he's sort of a silly character named dr doom before that before he gets to this backstory because his name is dr doom and he's kind of just fills whatever the story needs and he tends to end his adventures falling off cliffs constantly and yeah. here he becomes like a legit thing like all the various stuff didn't exist in the early doom stories but i do think that that annual is sort of like not I, as iconic as say like this man, this monster. Like I think people sleep yeah. on annual number two. So anytime somebody revisits it in a good way, kind of it kind of does blow you away. It's kind of it's kind of like oh yeah, we forget that this backstory is really cool. And I do think that Roger Stern tells the story from the mom's point of view, maybe more than we had seen before. Like her like deal with the devil and stuff like that. Like that's kind of rad, creepy stuff. And I'm and that feels very Magnolia, frankly, because like Magnolia Hellboy's art. mom made a deal with the devil and that's how Hellboy came to exist. And so this is sort of reminiscent in a weird way of not reminiscent, like foreshadowing of the Hellboy origin a little bit. And his art is perfectly suited for like these sorts of stories. Also, uh, Kevin and I, Kevin and I lost our mother young. We're a sucker for dead mom stories. I think somebody going to hell to save their mom. She made a deal with with the devil. Our mom. Oh boy. (laughs) But like, but it, it, it is, you know, it's a, it's a, kind of a it's a lot of disney films hit that trope of the lost parent that 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 is the emotional well, wound that drives the story it's it is an effect it's also fun to give doom that right because doom seems to not care about anyone but himself and to have him like miss his mom and is a very yeah. is a very humanizing thing for this sort of otherwise emotionless monster it's also really smart as we talk it out and i'm like flipping through some of the pages to go let's take dr strange who I'm sure at some point in Marvel's history, Doom and Strange have crossed paths. Like I'm positive, but 
you don't say yeah. Dr. Doom. Oh, Dr. Strange. Right. That's where they, that those two, but to sort of see like Doom shows up and Strange is like, I'm not doing this with this. He's a dictator. He's a maniac. He's nefarious. Mm-hmm. He's self-serving. And then to just watch Strange have to go like, all right, I'm seeing your skills, seeing your approach compared to these other people. I have to admit I'm impressed. Yeah, I love that. I'm seeing that you got to your station in life for a reason. And he never comes around and is like, I like you and respect you. But you can see that he's like, like even after one of the fight, just strange that says, I dot, 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 am impressed, sir. And then Dr. Doom goes, as am I, doctor. For every foe I stopped, you defeated too. It's just like, here's two people who view mm-hmm. themselves as the best at what they do. And to see Dr. Strange have to kind of view Dr. Doom as less of a caricature yeah. allows you to do the same. It's cool. It's smart well, writing. Doom's magic is often underplayed. Like he doesn't, they don't do as much with it. I mean, certain runs did, uh, Mark Wade did for a little bit, but like his magic, the magic side of Doom is often ignored for the technology side. Um, and it's a fun pairing to, and Dr. There weren't many other magic characters, but there were a handful. So it's fun to put Dr. Strange with, a magic character that he hadn't had a lot of, I, I can't imagine they've had lots of run-ins. So it is fun to pair them off in this series. It's also fun to put doom. I think doom's always fun as a protagonist. That's why I love secret wars. The doom is largely a protagonist in that story. It's fun to see him kind of be the lead character. It is. And, and you also realize like one of the things I've, I, I've heard about doom and I don't think I've actually read the run, but I've seen it referenced in other comics maybe in some of the Illuminati stuff that I caught up on of just like doom has used mysticism to see every eventuality of how the human race ends. <laughs> and the only ones where it lives are the ones where he wins. Where you go, oh. <laughs> he, he is convinced that unless he becomes the dictator of humanity, humanity dies. Like he's the hero of his own. No, story. I, have not, yeah. I have not read that. That's funny. I've read that. some rumblings and references to that of like, he's seen 750,000 eventualities of how humanity ends. The only ones where it survives. There's four, and in all four of them, doom controls humanity. <laughs> it's like he's a guy who wants to free his mom's soul. He's a guy who thinks that he has to win at all costs for the sake of the world. Like He's a guy who says that Latveria is well run by me. These people are happier with me in charge. Yeah, that's a good when he when Strange visits Latveria, that's one of the good stretch that's one of the best yeah. stretches of this. It's right. Like, so after these Strange are happy and Strange is like this also And that is something that is totally staged previously yeah. established. Uh like definitely burned around that's how Latveria was shown as sort of idyllic, but like clearly there's something weird about how much everyone loves doom <laughs> yeah it's like got some stepford wives elements to it yes yeah. yeah uh yeah combination like dictator stepford wife like everybody is ordered to love him um yeah because so after strange agrees to help doom they take a little pit stop in latveria and we get the flashback of doom's doom's loyal assistant boris who's been in the ff mythology forever tells dr strange the whole story of dr doom and his mom Boris, by the way, for a guy who works as the right hand man of an evil, cruel dictator, 
real gift of gab on Boris. Yeah, he really, he really Boris, uh, <laughs> had loose lips. No qualms dropping all the exposition strange needs on Doom. Like, yeah. Maybe a little bit convenient for Roger Stern there. Like I, I started to chuckle it. Like, yeah. Boris is. It's a very personal backstory he is sharing. <laughs> You're telling him everything, man. Yeah, you just you just got to show Strange to his quarters. You don't need to dump 10 pages of secrets from your master. But Doom is watching, so you start to think that that's part of the plan. Right? That's always, that's always a Doom thing. It's like, this was my plan all along, like no matter what happens. I feel like there's some good – one of the things that makes me laugh about listening to you guys anytime Doom comes up is like his proclamations. And I feel like there's some really good ones here, like him saying – like when when – when aged Genghis tells strange, like, you got to help, you got to do Doom a favor. He's second place. And that's basically, you owe him a favor now. And he's like, I'm not going to help this guy conquest the world. And when Doom, he says something, I'm not looking at the page right now, but something along the lines of like, you underestimate me, doctor. I have no needs for mysticism in matters of state. Where I'm like, <laughs> that, that's a very Doom thing. I'm looking at one right now. When he goes, he kind of explains the whole thing, right? They're standing by a fire and Doom's drinking, you know, some expensive liquor and telling him, I'm, I'm trying to free my mother from damnation. Year after year, I've struggled with the infernal forces for her freedom. So that, and then and Strange just goes, Doom, if you've worked so long for your mother's salvation, why did you subject yourself to the contest of the Vashanti? Why did you never simply seek me out and ask for my help? And there's this great page yeah. right at the bottom. Yeah. Bottom left is strange saying that. Middle is Doom just staring into a fire. <laughs> and then same exact shot. I will bear any ordeal strange, but Dr. Doom does not beg. Good night. Yeah, Middle it's like, great. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> um, he knows he could, he could, for probably decades, he's like, I should just contact Dr. Strange, but I'm not asking for anybody's fucking help. <laughs> I don't ask for help. I go and win a contest, vanquish <laughs> my enemies, and then I get to do it. That's great. And art thing that I appreciate in those two panels is that a lot of times you'll see static panels in comic books now, and it's just the same exact image uh, shown two or three times to show like silence or something like that. Here you can see the fire is moving. Like it's little details like that that just make this look like, oh, it doesn't look lazy. It looks like a choice. Uh, I hate when I read comics, and it's like the same facial expression, three panels in a row where I'm like, that person is frozen still uh, because they're, they're doing it to sort of simulate time passing and like this happens you only see doom's back so he doesn't need to move but the fire changes it adds a great detail i mean mignola is uh, a craftsman let's jump ahead to the um to the battle let's jump ahead to doom actually does save his mom and we're, i do also want to say we're all, it seems like we're on the same page of this and might just because we like him better but this is a doom story and strange is the sidekick right yeah like it's all about what doom needs yes yeah Strange is the hero. Like it's probably sold as a Doctor Strange story more because like it makes it's easy. It's, it makes more sense. But it is. It's the doc. This is Doctor Doom is what drives this whole story. Uh, and Doctor Strange is just he is Watson to Doom's Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. It's cool. You can tell someone went to the, to Roger Stern and was like, if you could write one story. And that you haven't had the chance, right? He'd be like, ah, sink my teeth into the Doom stuff. And they just let him, <laughs> they give him an early Mike Mignola who just crushes it with the art. It's really cool. Um, so we're in we're in hell. We have Mephisto. That means there's gonna be devil's bargains and betrayals and backstabbing and genies trapping you with weird monkeys paw style bargains. We get a lot of that in this story. Uh, we learned that Doom's mother 
initially made a deal with the devil to save her homeland, but it was like one of these, like she was given power, but no control. So she murdered a lot of innocent people along with the bad guys she wanted to get rid of. And so she gave up her power. So she lost her soul for nothing. We see that evil bargain. Now we see doom and strange fight their way to Mephisto and doom betrays strange to save his mom. Right. That's the setup. Doom basically uses himself as bait to capture Dr. Strange on behalf of Mephisto in exchange for releasing his mother. Kevin, am I saying that right? Yeah, Mephisto, it's off panel. We don't see the actual deal get struck, but it's basically like, he's like, I'll give you your uh, mother's soul. And Doom, Doom's like, well, what do you want from me? And he's like, you, you know what I want. And then we cut to Doom basically tricking Strange into getting captured into some sort of like crystal, I don't know, trap of some sort. I mean, that's the trouble in magical realms is like people can get the upper hand over each other just whenever the writer wants because there's no clear rules. It's like, why can't Dr. Strange just like, I don't know, teleport out of this or use some spell or whatever? Like, it's just whenever we need somebody to win, they win. And whenever we need somebody to lose, they lose. I mean, we're told like, oh, we can't use magic to do this or that or what have you. But we have to trust it. We have to distrust it. Um, so Mephisto does, he frees dooms, he creates a new body for her and puts her soul into the body and frees her for doom. Now, let me ask you this. Does this all unfold within, or was this deal, did doom strike this deal with Mephisto before he even entered that contest? No, it happens in hell. Um, it does. So it's not the, the implication is doom that and doom strange came in gets, second place on purpose. Yeah, yes. It, it does imply that Doom got second place in purpose because he knew about the boon. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But he didn't know. He just knew, I need Strange's help. I have, I've tried this every year, and I can't right. free my mother. So if I bring Strange, I should be able to do it. But there's a sequence where they get split up, and Doom and Mephisto talk. And Mephisto's like, hey, I appreciate you, Doom. You're an evil son of a bitch. I love you. Yeah. Um, he could, you could barter with me for her freedom. And Doom says, what, what is your price? And Mephisto says, come now, Victor, you know what I want. And then we cut back to Dr. Strange. And then Dr. Strange sees Doom being tossed into lava. And that is part of this ruse. But that has been struck, I think, off panel in this story. I think Mephisto's like, I want Dr. Strange's soul. I got yours. You're going to be evil. I'm going to get you eventually. I can wait. But I want Dr. Strange. So you're going to help me capture him. And Doom says, okay, sure. But Doom has another plan that is revealed by the end. I kind of I kind of like how this went out. I, I do think that Roger Stern or I guess, yeah, like the little machinations of the plot, I think are really fun in this story. The ending, um, this end sequence is great. Even as I was reading, I was like, I'm curious how this all ends up because it will be fun. Yeah, I, w- I was hooked a little bit. I was like, oh, I wonder how they get out of this puzzle. Kevin, can you summarize this accurately? I feel like I'll do it wrong if I try to do this. Uh, like, how, the ending. What, what, let's, so, so, yeah, so... Um, so Mephisto creates a body, puts Doom's mother's soul into it. She is furious that he would make a deal with the devil. That Doom would. Yeah. So she sacrifices. She's like, I won't go with you. Um, I'm going to uh, stay here in hell so that you, you can't get this. That's not a good way to free me. So she basically spurned this thing uh, and turns into stone. We don't to, quite know to, why she turns. To save him, I think, right? She's kind of like, I won't let you sacrifice yourself. Yeah, I think she doesn't want him to do this evil thing, but it doesn't matter. The deal has been struck. 
But Doom had snuck a device into Doctor Strange's hand, a, a technology that helps Strange free himself. So he had not trapped Strange. He had uh, he had uh, given Strange the tool to escape. So Strange is able to escape and then takes Doom and takes his mom. And then they're all trying to escape like his mom in like this frozen statue form. And Strange realizes, oh, the only power here that's more powerful than Mephisto is this soul that is now good. The, the mom's soul is now good because she made this sacrifice. So Mephisto's energy, when he's trying to blast Doom and Strange, they let it in. It blasts the statue, freeing the mother. She goes to heaven. Yes. Um, and that energy of uh, release blasts Mephisto and gives Strange and Doom the chance to escape. So what Doom had done was and it's implied, it's never fully said, but it's implied that Doom, this was all part of Doom's plan. He wanted his mom to go to heaven. He didn't want her to be alive again. So he had to give her a chance to do some good sacrifice. He didn't want to owe Dr. Strange anything. So he had to free Dr. Strange. So he didn't like have a debt to this guy in hell. So he freed Dr. Strange. Yeah. And then he also got himself out. So Mephisto gets zero souls. Doom gets his mom in heaven. And Dr. Strange is sort of a pawn in the whole thing. I love it. It's really layered and complex. And by the standards of 1989 Marvel, this really is good. heady stuff. It's also fun when it's not over. What I just said is not overtly said. Like Strange sort of accuses Doom. He's like, was this part of your plan that you just wanted your mom to go to heaven? And he goes, goodbye, doctor, or something like that. <laughs> um, so it could be like, this is just a happy accident. Maybe he did want his mom to be alive and he's sort of mad that she went to heaven. But it's, you know... Doom's a genius, so it's sort of like he's not going to lay his cards on the table. He's not going to say, "Oh, I was bluffing." Here's yeah. my cards. He's like, "You don't you you believe what you want to believe." That way, the next time I play a hand against you, you won't know whether I'm two steps ahead or not. Like he's a he's a great poker player. I guess it's he has. Awesome. It, yeah, go ahead, Geth. Well, one of the things that's striking because I'm looking at the page where it, it is it's kind of like an old time has like a. Like they're wrapping it up in the way that like an old detective novel might, where they're just like in this. And so it's strange explaining to Boris and right. That's who it was. says, uh, I should have seen that the master would want more than simply to rescue his mother. He would want to win free and clear beholden to no one from what you have said. He has, he owes you nothing. And his mother's soul is free. His dreams of conquest will continue. And for now, at least his soul remains his own which is so cool to hear yeah. Strange basically say, like, we got outplayed in a chess match by Dr. Doom. But then if you look at the art, it's Doom standing out on a balcony with his cape flowing and his arms folded. And he does not look triumphant. He looks lonely. He looks like yeah, I agree, yeah. a super lonely person who keeps backing himself. Into, he's like... The idea of I freed my mom and I won, but my mom is now wary of me and disappointed in me and disgusted by me like right, that. Yeah. And then strange being like, he couldn't just ask for my help. He had to do it in this way. That was him winning at the same time. But now that leads to him having like no allies, no satisfaction, just he won and he's standing alone with his arms folded. Mm -hmm. It makes doom feel like this, like really like, self-eating narcissist who just always ends up hollow. It just feels really kind of bleak for doom at the end. Even as strange as saying this guy won hands down, yeah. the visuals make it seem so isolated for him. 
Yeah, he he could be a really great hero. Doom would be like this amazing superhero if he didn't have this sort of dark side uh, that doesn't trust or believe anyone, but he is capable. Like this, the ego that he has ruins everything that he's able to, uh, all the good he could do. I think the 80s, a lot of 80s Marvel stories are like these new talents taking the 60s characters and like modernizing them. It's like characters who in Lee and Kirby's and Ditko's hands were really exciting and new, but also kind of hammy and crude, you know, uh, but in a way that that was fine for the 60s. In the 80s, they're like, all right, we're going to we were kids with Doom. I know what Doom is about. I'm going to I'm going to do a more complicated, layered Doom story. That's what John Byrne did. That's what Roger Stern is doing here. That's what Shooter did in Secret Wars, like. They're taking their favorite characters from when they were kids and making them work in a modern era. It's really exciting. The 80s is like a smarter 60s Marvel in a way. And I think what's happening now, I'm reading Powers of X, House of X right now, the Jonathan Hickman stuff. We're, that's the era of resampling. It's not modernizing. It's Well, we'll talk about it some other time. But I, I feel like there's a trend in modern comics, and I realize I'm not qualified to talk about it, but here I am talking about it, of just like, resampling and rebooting everything recontextualizing that that's what that's what modern comics is doing so 60s created 80s made it not stupid and current era is like what if we just look at it from a totally different angle all the time sorry it's funny too because the decades in between give away a lot of the progress right like the 70s is when you get the rocket racer and the hypno hustler right and the 90s is when every woman is drawn in a way that like warped my entire generation of males perspectives on bodies and everything's like guns and death and killing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like they give away the progress and then the writers who swing it back to being like smart and contemplative and philosophical, that pendulum swings really hard in that direction. I mean, it's also weird because like often that's not the, it's not the writers. It's not the creators necessarily that do that. Right. Cause like the nineties also Marvel was bankrupt and they were just doing whatever they could to make money. And the seventies, like and the early seventies, and the seventies, they were like books were not selling that well, and it was just sort of like desperation. And then certain points, like eighties, like they brought a good guy in Jim Shooter. It's like they sort of luck into having somebody in charge who is able to sell comics and do good comics. And and, you know, Marvel when they got Casada in eventually with Ultimate Comics and all that stuff is a guy who was able to like sell comics in a way without not making money. Like they had to make, they needed somebody who could make money and do good comics. And whatever that happens, they make progress. Yeah. Um, it's, it's also hard. It's you read it. You realize like Watchmen came out 86, 87, right? 86. And then this comes out 89. Like it must be really cool for comics creators at the time to see what Watchmen was. Cause by all accounts, I mean, I was six years old, so what do I know? But by all accounts, it was just like Watchmen was like, let's take superheroes and elevate like thoughtfulness yeah. to a degree it never been seen. So then for a guy like Roger Stern to be told, okay, now that door's open. We're going to do these graphic novels. There's comic book shops. There's this niche market taking these seriously. Go rewrite something with Doom that like bottles all this stuff up and make it like super heady and philosophical yeah that must be such an exciting time for creators also probably just having like 
a longer deadline, right? It's like, instead of like, you got to get this issue out, it's June. We need a new issue. Now we need another issue. Think of another villain. Like, so like you got a few months to do this. You can like do it right. Really think it over. Really That's plan true. it out. I hadn't appreciated that. I, I feel it. I think you guys are right. Like th- this feels like a writer kind of um, stretching his wings a little bit. He's been given permission both by maybe the success of Watchmen, the evolution of the form, both by, and also graphic novels. Yeah, lack of deadline. We could be a bit more adult here. We can show a devil making out with somebody's mom. <laughs> um, we can get into issues of heaven, redeeming people's souls, kind of dance around that religious stuff. We don't have to worry because this is a, this is not in a comic aimed at 11-year-olds. Yeah, they, it, it pays off too. This, this was a great read. I really enjoyed it. Have you guys read, because we were talking about Grunewald before, have you read Squadron Supreme? I have, yeah. I think I read it when it came out and I've read it since also you had the issues i have not read it but you had the issues when we were growing up it was like watchmen before watchmen i was just gonna that's another that came out 85 i'm like you want to read good grunewald stuff kevin like the captain america stuff's great but squadron supreme i read it i was like this was in this was marvel published in 85 like yeah there's all these issues of censorship and yeah it's also one of the reprints of that book was uh at least they say was made with his uh ashes Oh, right. his ashes were put into the ink of one of the Squadron Supreme collections. Um, yeah, I've heard it's great. It's also on my list. I have so many. I mean, you could read Squadron Supreme and not is cover good. a lot of good stuff. Squadron Supreme's really good. It's really good. It's interesting that it did not have the impact Watchmen did. There is something he doesn't quite have Alan Moore's flair for like humor and like. I don't know. Alan Moore has that flair for like, you read an Alan Moore story, you got to tell everybody about the story. It's like, it's like so devilish and so strange. You're like, oh, Rorschach is out of control. You got to read Watchmen. Squadron Supreme did not have that level of like hit single idea, but it is like solidly good. Similar um, to his Captain America. Now we got to, I got to come back someday. We got to come back. <laughs> Captain America run. But it all ties in. Era, like you're saying, like it is really interesting to think about like the 60s, this explosion of creativity, 70s, it feels desperate, 80s. Reclaiming the 60s in a modern way. Let's all get super philosophical. 90s, like boobs and guns, you know, <laughs> people beheading each other. Yeah. And, and yeah, then I think you get back. like the Dan Slot, Immortal. I'm guessing a little bit. Kevin's way more familiar than me, but my impression is like, the Dan Slott, Immortal Hulk, and now the Hickman X-Men are kind of like, no, yeah. we can we can modernize it. We can make it smart again. Well, you're skipping another era, the, the era of like sort of almost like movie pitches, the, the early aughts where it was like, let's sell the, let's simplify these characters. Like what makes this character tick? Like let's the, the, do the maybe ultimate, ultimate Spider-Man. Yeah. And um, it's also when Marvel uh, didn't do events for a while and just sort of focused on their characters, fixing their characters in a way. Yeah. It was like, we're Captain America. Let's make him a spy. That's what works. Great. What makes the X-Men work? Like, let's figure that out. Let's try to get Spider-Man uh, not to be married anymore. Like some of those things people like, some of them that didn't, but it was all like them trying to like get these characters down to their core again so that they could uh, cross them over and make them work. It's where they fixed Black Panther during that era. It's like Black mm-hmm. Panther had sort of become like, Oh, he's the first black superhero, but what have we ever really done with him? So they had Christopher Priest do that. That was all early aughts and that stuff. Okay, yeah, I just get that era. It's fun. Um, it's fun to see Marvel's yeah. ebbs and flows. Here's a here's a fun game that's built for you too. 
thinking about the era of the 80s and what we're saying now of like, oh, there was this era of like reclaiming them, making them smarter, fleshing them out. And they put Strange and Doom together and really sunk their teeth into some Doom stuff in the midst of this like stretch of comics um, growth or the approach. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about, oh, it's kind of happening again right now. Hickman's X-Men, Immortal Hulk, Slots, Spider-Man. Who are two characters currently that you two would kind of put together in an unlikely pairing Ooh. to blow them up? That's a fun question, right? Yeah, yeah that is a fun one. Kevin, do you have an answer to it? You read I don't. Not, not, not right off the bat. Brainstorm. I don't have one either. Yeah, yeah. Get Night Thrasher and Rocket Racer. <laughs> the, uh, skateboard the Skateboard Twins, Bros. Um, yeah, I don't. Nothing. Well, you know uh, what's what's funny about this one is it's sort of like a word play, like the two doctors, like Doctor Strange, mm-hmm. like the two doctors who aren't doctors mm-hmm. put together. So it's almost like you want to have it. You want to have another idea that's born of some dumb wordplay, and yeah. then you try to make a grand story out of it. You know, well, I mean, like, there's also the story where they team up Iron Man and Doctor Doom because they both like wear suits of armor and like they, they go to Camelot or something. I haven't read that story. That's but that's just like, hey, these two guys are in armor. Let's send them okay. to a time of armor. So I'll p- I'll pick like a dumb idea, and the challenge would be to make it's not quite what Gethard asked, mm-hmm. but it's like, uh, it's. Uh, you know, like a surface dumb idea that you have to make. So what if all the stretchy people came together? Like, like Mr. Fantastic, Ms. Marvel, um, Mystique, anybody who could, who could like just kind of like stretch their body, have to team up like all the rubbery people. Most of them are DC. I realize as I say that, so it's hard to find like Marvel ones. Cause like plastic man and elongated man are DC. And Metamorpho are all DC. Yeah. The so three. maybe this is I'm pitching a DC story. I need like all the stretchy you, you, DC dudes. Do you even put in? I mean, how far does the blob cat like he controls his density? But I think the blob, the blob right? in my story, I would throw the blob in there. Like, the I blob think, in? like yeah. Anybody who could like stretch their arm gets in this mm-hmm. gets in this uh story. Okay. okay. Um, and you have to make it like grand and have pathos and be sad or somehow. Um you have to you have to like all-star Superman it where like there's like heart to it. That'd be my challenge. We'll see if Dan Slock can pull that off. <laughs> I would put, I would take Diamond back because we're talking about so much about. <laughs> I'm going to put this out here because I know people, I know that comics nerds are listening, and I bet there's people at Marvel listening. If you are at Marvel, I have an I reading Mark Grunewald's Captain America. Diamondback is the most underutilized character in Marvel history. I'm going to say there is. I could write a killer Diamondback series. Right now, I would say put Diamondback and Polaris. Um, wow, that is random. The green, the green-haired mutant. Sure. Well, it is random, but they're two strong female characters, kind of constantly pushed aside to the edge of their little micro universes, mm-hmm. and kind of like, sort of like badass and motivated and ultra powerful, but always pushed off to the fringe. Ooh, I love it. I'd love to see I a Gethard Pen story for that. Yeah, um, there could be something there in that of and, like a really feminist reclamation of those two characters as like, why am I Havoc's girlfriend? Why am I Captain America's girlfriend? Sure. Really- That's a really good idea. And Marvel editors, while you're listening and taking down ideas, hire me and Kevin to do a really terrible idea, which is the enforcers as lead characters of a mini series. I don't think it's a terrible idea. You always frame it as a terrible idea. I think it's a where fun they, idea. Where the enforcers reclaim their glory. That's that's Listen, the Heinz brothers' idea. I, I'm gonna. I'll say this. I'll go to bat for you. Are they gonna give you a limited series? I don't know. But at the very least, a mini story as part of an annual. Everybody knows annuals 
always yeah, that's, have. That's where the comedians get to write some stories. That's where Manzukas right. writes a story. She writes a story. Mm-hmm. Ackerman's written some really good ones. You guys, in those the Heinz brothers writing the enforcers as part of a Spider-Man annual is honestly, I feel like it'd be great. Well, I feel like Will, you'd probably actually like disintegrate into light and dissipate yeah. into heaven after that. It'd be over for me. Yeah, that would be the end of my develop. That'd be mm. the end of my arc as a human. Let's hold off planet. a few more years till my son's older. Yeah, he's just not ready to deal with that sort of death in his family. How do you explain that to your kid that your, uh, your uncle, your uncle Willie turned into light? You'd be like, no, it. It's a good thing. He. Yeah. He really got to say some things about fancy damn that haven't been said. <laughs> he feels content with his time on earth. Um, I guess we should we should wrap it up here. Um, Gethard, what a great pick. I had not heard of this. Really astute recommendation. Well, happy happy to put something out there. It wasn't it's not necessarily something I I can point to as a big part of my like I said, I only discovered it a few years ago, but I also as I mean, your guys' podcast is my favorite podcast, so I also feel like I kind of know the mindset of some of the listeners, maybe, if they're like me. And this is the exact type of thing you can go and rediscover that you maybe haven't read before that's going to push a lot of buttons for why you loved comics in the first place. I totally it, agree. Both of, both of like Chris's when, appearances have been big plugs for Marvel Unlimited because also his Thor stuff, you also hadn't read until Marvel Unlimited. It's true. Marvel Unlimited was such a game changer. But you know what it is, too? I think you guys did such a good job. I did not realize when I picked this, I think this is such a good middle ground between like early Marvel buffoonish, crazy characters, but kind of washed down through the lens of, yeah, guys, Watchmen has happened and Dark Knight has happened. So let's throw it's cool. It's just it's cool. I keep saying that word, but it is. (laughs) But it is. Um, And Kevin, wait, Kevin, did you ever give us your mashup? Uh, I didn't. Uh, I'm trying to think of another brother character. Let's do Havoc because he's, you know, Cyclops's brother. He's always in the shadow. Who's another character like that that fits in the Marvel Universe? Do other characters have siblings? Thunderbird's brother, Warpath. Sure. But his brother yeah. died. So he's got, right? So he's yeah. free to do what he wants now. You're all wrapped somebody who's held, somebody's held back by an older brother. Is that what you're Just trying to like, find? Uh, sympathy yeah. In? Trying to find another, Weird. not necessarily held back because you know, Havoc gets his chance to shine often, but like he's always second. Like, you know, Cyclops yeah. is always, you know, you're not going to see Havoc leading the X-Men I mean, Johnny Storm's without, thinking, without mentioning Cyclops. Johnny Storm's a little brother of Sue Storm. Yeah, but um, they're both, uh, they're too equal. So they don't work as well. That's why I'm trying to think of there's only someone else. So there's yeah. another another siblings. Yeah. I'm trying to think what other siblings are out there. There must be. Yeah. Power Pack, but they're all kind of peers yeah. together. Um. Yeah, because Cyclops existed first, right? He was on the scene first, and Havoc later on showed up. It was like, and there's me. It's like you almost need that sort of like somebody who shows up a little later. Yeah, uh, Proud Star Woodwork or, or, or Thunderbird Woodwork if uh, his brother was alive. I think. <laughs> anyway, I'll try to think of somebody that fits that realm. I'm looking. Uh, yeah, that's what I like about. I, it is genuinely what I like about Havoc. It's like it's a weird character to be. It's like you do he's tend as to- powerful as uh, Cyclops. You but do just, tend to like you like the guys who come along, like you like Wally West, Flash. You like Dick Grayson. Yeah, lots of people like Wally West, but yes, I, I know. But like you sort of seem to have a thing where it's like they're in somebody's shadow and they gotta let they gotta step into their own. Yeah, find their own uh, thing. Hmm, interesting. Um, all right, um, well, Gether, do, I know. I, know, I feel like I know. being attacked. <laughs> I, 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 I'm only kidding. I um, feel like I, I feel like I caused that. And I'm really <laughs> yeah. yeah. You ruined Thanksgiving whenever, when we get around to it, uh, when that holiday hits. Gethard, um, do you want to plug anything? You got a lot of great stuff. Um, uh, if, 
I got Planet Scum live every Wednesday night, co-hosted with Will Hines, where you yeah, can we're having a great time on that thousand dollars guessing what's in a box. I've got a lot of tour dates. I'm actually out on the road a ton. Chrisketh.com. I'm going to a whole bunch of cities. It's been very fun to go out on the road, and I've uh, required like proof of vaccination for all the shows and trying to keep this it is possible. So this is probably out in two weeks. What's uh, right, Will? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what's your, what's your, what shows are you doing in two weeks? Um, we're coming up on date. Thanksgiving, basically next. I week. know I've got. Oh, coming no, up on Thanksgiving. No, no, two. We're, this will be the second. Wait. Yeah, give me a date here. Okay, hang on. Pull up the calendar. So this will be. It's a week from Wednesday. Third. The third. Oh, the third. I got. I got Rochester on the sixth. I got Woodstock on the twelfth. I've got uh, San Francisco, Sacramento, Phoenix, Denver, Omaha, Cleveland, and Columbus. Those are all the announced ones. A few in Florida. Hey, and if you want a a good taste of what it's like, you can go to Amazon and rent his special. Half my life. Free really on Amazon. Enjoy it. Thank you. Oh, yeah. if you're if you're Prime, it's free. Um, Did you just post that, Gather? Did I see that correctly? Yeah, yeah. It's up on the Instagram. It's called Half My Life. It's really good. Not many people actually went out and watched it or got it, but um, it's good, and I'm proud of it. And I hope people do. I watched it. I really enjoyed it. Um, so cool. I'll recommend it personally. And it is. And also, I think it it'll make you want to see the show. It's not the kind of thing where you'll see and be like, oh, I saw the show. Like it, it's a good like sampling of lots of different shows. So it'll make you want to have, it looks to me like a lot of the shows end up being very unique because Gethard will often sort of maybe improvise a little bit or adapt to the audience. Not, I'm not saying it's guaranteed to happen, but it's likely to happen. It's a guaranteed so you might want, promise. Guaranteed Ever. promise. So you, you, you don't, to- it's, it looks like there's room. There's room for each show to be individualized. Every so Chris Gethard show checking. is tailored to you, the audience. <laughs> well, there. Uh, well, we have a lot of fun. And if you, if I'm coming to one of your cities and there's a comic store you like, let me know because I do tend to kill time in comic stores. I just went to a great one in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, called Vintage Phoenix. They were selling a copy of Giant Size X Men number one on the wall behind the counter. I said, "How Ooh. much?" She goes, twenty four hundred dollars. I said, you didn't even have to turn around. She's like, everyone asks. Twenty-four hundred dollars seems that that must that must not be in perfect condition. Decent price, uh, decent price. I was like, I can't spend twenty-four hundred dollars on a comic book, but I'm like, that's also not that bad for giant size X Men. Yeah. That is like that is like tantalizingly possible. Yeah. Like it's still a price bad that you might de- spend. It's a bad decision, but it is tantalizingly possible. If I didn't have a child, if I didn't know all. <laughs> it'd be the, tough to tell Hallie. It'd be tough to tell Hallie it. about that purchase. <laughs> yeah. yeah it would be. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, check out Gethard's shows, Beautiful Anonymous Podcast, his Planet oh, yeah. Scum Live show, and Twitch, uh, where you can see yours truly a lot of times also. It's really fun. Great, great community there that I've really enjoyed being a part of. So, Kevin, you got any plugs? Nope. All right. And so, um, We'll see you next episode, probably for a Mutants and Mailbag episode next. I think we're going to be hitting Days of Future Past next time. Ooh, I think, the best. Uh, yes, I think that's right. So big now one. Get right into, I told you, Will. I told Will this off, off mic. Yeah. You guys were starting X-Men. I said, Will, it's crazy because for you, X-Men is not even going to start till Kitty Pride gets up and running. I feel like that's built for the Love and Rockets fan in you. Oh, I can't wait. I, I do love Kitty Pride. So, uh, all right, everybody. So, um, our email is screwitcomics at gmail. If you have any thoughts about Doctor Strange, Doctor Doom, Mike Magnolia, graphic novels, Havoc, Green Grunwald, Captain America, uh, MCU. Covered a lot of topics. <laughs> and if you got if you got thoughts on any of this, let us know. 
And we also have a Twitter, Screw It Comics, and an Instagram, Screw It Comics. Please check those out. And we'll uh, see you next episode. Gethard, thank you. Thank you, Gethard. Thank you, guys. Bye. Screw it, screw it. We're just Comics. I'm Brian Husky. I'm bald. And I'm Charlie Sanders, and I'm also bald. And we host Bald Talk on the Campfire Media Network. Bald Talk is the podcast where two bald comedians talk to anyone bald about being bald. But this show isn't just for baldies, Brian. Harrows will love it, too. Bald Talk gets into vulnerability, vanity, insecurity, and self-acceptance, reminding us that we all have our respective bald spots. Not that bald spots are a bad thing. No way. I mean, my entire head is one big bald spot. It is one huge, beautiful bald spot, Charlie. Get Bald Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I mean, I I have like a little bit of hair, but not like you. Like you're really bald. I'm truly bald. Great. I mean, it's I'm great. balder than it. you. You are balder than me. Only on Bald Talk. Campfire.